knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he did, didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. We are a podcast for women on the Bible Thumping Wing Net Network, but we're okay with men listening. <laughs> Somebody I was just going to say that. I was like, I almost think we should get rid of our tagline um, for women by women because we have so many male listeners. Right. There we, was do, a like, we get people, all men all the time saying, hey, that was a really good episode on this or that. And I'm like, we're not really a podcast for women because... <laughs> You know, right, and we don't have any authority, and so you know, um, <laughs> we're not preaching in the church. Yeah. Uh, there was actually a church from Ireland that posted this week's episode and said, Theology Gals, it was something like, because I don't have it right in front of me, but Theology Gals is a podcast for women, but men can benefit from it too, or something like that. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we'll have to say, like, but men. You're okay too, or something like that. Is oh. our new tagline because oh. yeah. there was a, a girl from our group wrote to me and she asked me a question, something that we that that we addressed on a podcast. And I said to her, "Well, do you listen to the podcast?" And she said, "Only when my husband has it on." Oh, cute. <laughs> anyway, so so we know. Yeah. So we we appreciate our male listeners out there. You know so, what, Colleen? I just yeah. thought of something I wanted to ask you. Okay. Just thought of it. How do you feel? So we're at the beginning of November, right? Or right. The weekend of November. How do you feel about Christmas music playing already? What's what? Where do you fall on this issue? Yeah. Well, this is a this is a very big battle. Yes. In in our home, because my husband thinks nothing Christmas should happen till December first. Now okay. he has he he really has uh, you know we have compromised, you know, 22 okay. years of marriage, we compromised. So we do do the Christmas tree day after Thanksgiving. So okay. we've done that for a while. And you know, the kids get so excited. It's like Thanksgiving's over. We need Christmas. <laughs> and, but for me, November, November 1st just seems like it's the sea. Like that to me seems like the season. And I love Christmas music. I have a, a Christmas playlist on Spotify where I put all my oh. favorite that has over 900 songs because that's I'm gonna how have much to find that 
Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll send it. Well, I have another one where I put the best of the best, so I'll send yeah. you send you that one. But and then when I was in California for the conference and um, our friend Rick, we, he he likes a lot of the same Christmas music that I have, so he sent me a bunch of music. So now I have a bunch of new stuff to to check out too. And and I really like everything from traditional to mm-hmm. classical to um, I don't know some some newer. Yeah, I mean, just all kinds of, I have very eclectic taste in that, so. Okay, I'm going to recommend an artist to you. And I'll I'll have to send it, this is for our listeners too. Sufjan Stevens, are you familiar with him? You've mentioned him before, I'm pretty sure. He's new. He's really familiar. He's pretty modern, but I mean, his his Christmas album came out actually probably 10 years ago, but um, he's... He, he redoes a lot of Christmas music, and I just love him. So I'll, oh, I'll, I'll send it to you on Spotify. It's spelled kind of weird, Sufjan. It's like S-U-F-J-A-N. That's how you spell Sufjan. So, um, but he's he's one of my favorite musical artists anyway, but he did a Christmas album that's really good. Oh, well, I, so, I'd be happy to check that out. That sounds yeah. like I, I like all kinds. Well, it sounds like we kind of agree on November 1st, which I'm like, we need to start finding things we disagree on because we tend to, we tend to agree pineapple on pineapple on pizza, most. pineapple on pizza. Okay. We're not going to agree on that one. <laughs> and I saw what you posted on Twitter. I, was it last night? Yeah. And a picture of your pineapple pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I almost said something, but yeah. I decided to be nice. It's okay to have different tastes. Yeah. It's funny because I posted a picture in our Facebook group and I said, this is how pizza should be enjoyed with the pineapple on it. And I got a hundred reactions just to a picture of pizza. I was like, I don't think I've ever had a post give that many reactions. And it's just pizza. So. Well, and I think that when we did our little polls that the group overwhelmingly agreed with you and Uh Twitter agreed with me. Yeah. With you. Yeah. Before before we get, to, we're going to be doing. We have some really good topics that we're going to be talking about today. Just I've been kind of saving a lot of questions that have been coming into us, and we thought we need to do another question and answer episode, and we probably won't even get to everything today. But before we even get to that, something that is asked periodically in the group, and I think one of our admins said, I think it was already asked five times already, and that is, what do you think about the pearls? and Lori Alexander. And before we talk about what we think about them, I wanted to kind of, for those who are not familiar with who they are, the Pearls, he's a pastor somewhere in the South, I cannot remember where, and that they have a book that's very popular in homeschool circles called To Train Up a Child. And then she wrote a book called Created to Be His Helpmeet. So that so that's kind of who they are. Lori Alexander on Facebook, she's the transform wife. She has a book. So that is who they are. And so what what do we think about them? Well, I'm going to let Ashley start because Ashley, you started to read years ago, created, created to be his helpmate, right? Yeah, someone recommended it. Someone very well-intentioned recommended it to me because they knew, I don't think I was engaged yet, but they knew I would be engaged any day now. So they said, oh, this will be a great, great book to help you get ready for marriage. And um, I remember being very concerned pre-marriage about the whole submission thing because I wasn't raised learning about that. So I was like, I don't really know what that looks like or 
you know, so I was trying to read everything I could. Um, so I started reading that book and there was just red flag after red flag after red flag. And finally, after about three chapters, both my friend and I who were reading it, we both said we can't read this book. And I was like, I don't even want to donate, to, donate it to Goodwill because I don't want anyone else reading this book. <laughs> um, and I think the, the thing that finally made me put down the book was at one point, she kind of, in the book, includes letters that women had uh, written to her, and she includes her response to those letters. And someone wrote her a letter saying um, that her husband, I can't remember if her husband was having an affair or their husband was looking at things he shouldn't have been looking at. It was somewhere along those lines, and she was kind of asking, what do I do? And um, I was just so shocked that her response was that the wife needs to make herself look more appealing by dressing in a way that her husband finds attractive and making sure, you know, her, I can't remember her exact language because it's been it's been six or so, I don't know how many years since I've read it. But basically her response was like, you need to make sure as a wife you're being very appealing to your husband so that he's not tempted to do these things. And I was just like, whoa, like, like no mention of like the husband's sin and like maybe you need to meet with your pastor or your elders to discuss this and it just basically sounded like if a husband's stepping out on his wife in any way, that it's a woman's fault because she's not making herself appealing to her husband. And even as a unmarried woman, you know, pretty new in my Christian walk, I knew that was, that was wrong. And so I, I talked with a friend of mine and we were like, yeah, we, I don't think this is really helpful for us as we're thinking about getting married soon. Um, and I put the book down. Yeah, I actually have the exact quote because Tim Challies has written a couple great articles on both that book, Created to Be His Helpmate, and and then also the To Train Up a Child. And and he he talks about that exact thing, Ashley. He says, mm -hmm. a woman who is suspicious that her husband may be carrying on an emotional or perhaps sexual affairs is told that she needs to, in quotes, learn to use her feminine wiles hmm. to woo him back. And I mean, it, and then the other thing you had talked about, no mention of the church. And I think this is, this is a really important aspect. If a pastor, they, this actually, if a pastor claims authority, according to Mr. Pearl, he is a liar and a deceiver. Hmm. Wow. And, and so here you have a situation where a husband, is his very own authority. He wow. is under no one's authority. And, and that's, that's concerning. But I'll tell you what, when I was researching a while back, the Pearl's theology, he says that um, bas he, does, he denies original sin and believes that, that sin is imputed to people sometime in their youth. Hmm. That's wow. so... And, and I think that this is a kind of a more age of accountability sort of belief, but it's a denial of original sin. And then he also believes in Wesleyan entire sanctification that we can, we can stop sinning. Wow. And so that, that alone, I would say, 
we had talked, someone had posted in the group, what do, what do we think of them? And someone's like, but they have a lot of good things. And even Chally says, yeah, he even, he starts off with, here's my agreements. It's a small section, but <laughs> there, there might be some things. But I think this, this really is kind of a picture of patriarchy, which we have talked about taking issue with. And, and Lori Alexander, I had a hard time finding anyone that I can recommend that's really written about her. I mean, I've found some feminists or <laughs> people that that have written about her and, and people that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. But Lori Alexander strongly recommends The Pearls. And, and you get the same exact tone in her stuff as what Ashley was saying. This kind of, if the, I mean, there is in, in the Pearls and in Lori Alexander's that most problems in the marriage are, are the wife's fault. You know, the wife needs to, that the wife needs, is, isn't doing a good enough job if her husband's off doing something he shouldn't. And right. that, that's really concerning. And then in this, in this thing with the Pearls, I don't know Lori Alexander's view, but in this thing with the Pearls where there's no authority in the church, that that's extremely concerning and there's also one thing we've talked about is it, when we t did our kind of complementarianism series is if your husband's in sin guess what matthew 18 applies to you too and they don't believe in that confronting a husband of sin and mm -hmm. what what we're not saying is every time your husband does a little something wrong you should confront him but if there's an ongoing sin issue you yeah. can with grace go to your husband with the hope of repentance. Yeah, and I think it's very comforting that my pastor has authority over my husband and our our family, you know? Like, that's a comforting thought, I think, because that's how the church should function. You know, yeah. that my husband's not the last stop. He can go to our pastor about things um, and seek, you know, help and guidance, and our pastor can, you know, guide him you know, whatever, which way. And I, I think that's very comforting. I also wanted to mention um, about the pearls. Uh, I remember a while back when I started researching them, I did not read How to Train Up a Child, uh, but I know that is very popular. And when I started researching that book, I found that there's a lot of accusations of almost teaching like, a child abuse type thing, like taking um, corporal punishment way too far, um, where where maybe maybe they themselves aren't aren't doing that, but there's been people who've ended up in trouble with the law for taking the advice of the pearls and applying that to their family and their children. So if anyone's interested, you can research that. There's documented um, cases of, of that happening. So yeah, I, I actually don't know a ton. It. Yeah, I don't know a ton about it, but yeah. I did see that and I was like, okay, never reading that book. I um, I did read To Train Up a Child. Okay. And and again, there are things in that that we would say, yes, that's good. You know, learning to be consistent in your discipline and stuff like that. But there is a lot in there that is that is not is not good. And I, I've read about a couple of the situations. I can think of one. There may be another that Ashley's talking about. And I know to be to, to be fair, I know the pearls came out and said, you know, we do not condone that and stuff. So I think what some people think is that it can lead to that. It's not someone that we would recommend. And I think also when we're looking at things like 
parenting and marriage, that is something that we want to be consistent with scripture. We should not be taking our advice, our cues from people who, who deny some serious biblical doctrines like original sin and who are endorsing entire sanctification. Yeah. Okay, well, I shouldn't have a question and answer episode for you today, so we'll go to a quick commercial and we will come right back. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening, and welcome to Conversations from the Port. Hello and welcome to Living in the Vine. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. 12 podcasts, one network. Check them out at BibleThumpingWingnut.com. This is a question that comes in a lot. I've seen it so many times. Uh, We just started attending a family integrated church. How can I train my children to sit through church? Please discuss how first-time, inexperienced parents can gradually train our, train our children to sit or at least quietly exist in the worship service. Yeah, that, these are, this just gives an example of how we, we get the same question, just asked different ways. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, because I think this is really important, is sometimes people will ask about Presbyterian churches and say, is it a, is it a family-integrated church? And Presbyterian churches and family integrated churches, and some people have written about this, are kind of two different things because because family family integrated churches are often in Baptist churches. So it's a very different view of the why, where in Presbyterian churches, in many Presbyterian churches, yes, our children are in the service because they're part of the covenant. So it's a little bit based on a different theology. So my children were always in the service from the time they were young. I, you know, if I had a baby, I would go to the cry room or if I had a, a you know, a, a child that wasn't sitting still, I might go sit back in the cry room. But um, what we did is we used family worship as a training time for church. Yeah. So we just, we were very intentional <laughs> when we had family worship of trying to get our children you know, to set. And there's, there's some different views as far. I think the hardest age, at least for me, is kind of about a year, probably a year to two years old, especially about the 15 month mark where they kind of, last thing they want to do is sit still. And so what we did is we actually had a bag that we brought to church. It was only for church. And during the sermon, the kids each had like, it's a, it's a three-ring binder, but it's like the kind that's a half-size three-ring binder. And then we had paper in there, and we'd give them colored pencils and stuff. So we would let them, for us, we would let them color because they they kind of need something to do, something to keep busy with. And then as they got a little bit older, we I bought a book with children's bulletins. So we would use that. And then eventually we our pastor 
actually agreed to put together a children's bulletin. There was one for kind of the younger kids that had pictures of things that he might say. And then as they got a little bit older, words to listen for or fill in the blank that goes with what the pastor said. So I know that some people might not agree, but we, we did let our kids draw during the service once the sermon started, not not before, but we also tried to somehow incorporate them listening as they got older. I think it's a little bit more challenging when they're younger. But if you are in a church, I think something that's really important to remember, if you're in a church, a family integrated church, or you're in a reformed or Presbyterian church where the kids stay in the service, people people are used to it. You know, you I know when your kid makes a noise, it's embarrassing and that sort of thing. And but I know a lot of people actually they love hearing the children in the background. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I would say to that. Yeah, we have a lot of babies in our church. Um, and there's always like a little babble or a little, you know, like the church I grew up in, um, kids went to church separately from parents, which drives me nuts. But um, it would have been really odd. Like if you heard a baby make any sound in the service, everyone would have looked at that baby like why do you have that baby in church um but now that i'm in the church i'm in where it's pretty common everyone has their babies in church i don't even notice it you know the only time i notice is if a kid like screams (laughs) then then it's like oh okay (laughs) kids there so yeah and you know are you i i just remember when i was little there actually was when i was little at first which is now North Point, the kids actually were in the service, believe it or not. And then later on, they started Children's Church. But I just remember a couple of times where you'd hear a kid crying and the dad taking him out and the kids crying, Daddy, don't spank me. Yeah, Yeah. poor little guy. Um, But yeah, you know, I, I know it can, I do know it can be, it can be challenging for us moms. And, you know, I guess for me, I, I have no problem if a parents decide to send their little ones to the nursery. Our, the churches that we attended did have a nursery up through age two or three, I guess. Yeah. That's so I nurse. understand that. And, and I understand that. And if you do that, I, I think that's acceptable. Mm. And, you know, as they get older, you you can really start to train them. So, yeah, I remember this one mom in our church, she would give her son a lollipop when the sermon started. And after I think it was about four at the time or something, and the pastor asked him, so what did you get out of church today? And he said a lollipop. (laughs) That's so cute. So I always I always feel compassion for the pastor's wives you know, that line up and they have their kids all lined up and, you know, their hus- the husband's up there preaching and they're, uh, you know, trying to keep the kids, you know, on on track. And um, I always think it's a blessing to have someone in the congregation, maybe a single person or someone without children to kind of sit with those kids uh, just so the mom has like a healthier, like a helper, you know, because it's got to be hard to do it all by yourself. That's an excellent idea, Ashley. Yeah. Good idea. So if you're somebody in a church where the pastor's up there and the the wife is sitting in the service with all her kids, you know, that's something maybe you can do sometimes is help her out. Yeah. 
I've, I've offered that to people at my church because I don't have kids. Hey, I could sit on the other side and just help you, you know, um, if your husband's not here, or, you know, things like that. My pastor has three littles now. He has a, a newborn baby, a one-year-old, and a two-year-old. So wow, <laughs> that's a lot, you know, that's a lot of littles to, to try to, to keep, you know, keep busy during the service or, you know, so. Yeah, that, that is, that is. So let me see another question that we have. I'm not exactly sure how to answer this one, but maybe together sure. we can figure this out. How, how did, how do we transition from a different religion or denomination into reformed? How does this change our lifestyle, homeschool, being a mother and wife? And maybe you would be good to answer this since you kind of trans, she said a different religion though, or, or denomination. Okay. So let's just say denomination, oh. denomination. You went from yeah being something else. Well, so did I, but it's been a while, but mm -hmm. How, how did it change things for you? Uh, it changed things pretty significantly, I felt, in the way we carried our carried out our lives. Um, I think, so we've been in a Reformed church for about two years now, so really not very long. Um, and I was raised evangelia, I like to call it, um, but kind of big mega church evangelical. And then I went to the church you and I both went to, which is a Calvinistic um, Baptist, I guess we would call it, EV free. Yeah. Um, the one, yeah. Calvinistic yeah. Baptist. Cause Calvinistic I don't think Baptist. they were, at least when I was there, it was Calvinistic Baptist. They didn't. Yeah. Confession or yeah. Anything. Yeah. And um, it was a good church, but then even if you're in a Calvinistic Baptist church and all of a sudden now you're going to reform church, it's such a huge transition. Like it's just so, so different. Uh, worship is so different. Um, I think that's probably the biggest change for us was, okay, worship is very different, trying to understand liturgy and things like that, but also seeing how highly regarded worship was on Sunday and how like vital it is um, and how important the means of grace are um and even learning about you know the law and understanding how christians interact with the law um and the fourth commandment and things like that it just kind of changed how we oriented our weeks um there's just this focus towards sunday as kind of the high point of the week uh, so that that just has kind of practical implications uh you just have to do whatever you can during the week to be ready for, for Sunday. Um, which I, you know, I'm sure people are like that in non-reformed churches, but, uh, I just noticed how important it was, uh, when we transitioned to a reformed church. Um, trying to think of another thing I can add to this. How does this change your lifestyles, homeschool, being a mother and a wife? So that I can't really comment on because I'm not, a mother and I don't homeschool. Uh, what do you think, Colleen? I, I was going to add real quick to what you said in that when Ashley was talking about 
that high view of Sunday, it's because of what we believe about the Sabbath. And I know a practical thing for me is that I wasn't going out to lunch after church on Sunday anymore, mm-hmm. you know, where, and Ashley talked about preparing for it. And when I had a lot of littles, I, and we'll do a whole episode on the Sabbath and maybe even talk about some of the practical things. But on Saturday, I would try to get everything even ready for the next day's lunch. Mm-hmm. And not because I think it's wrong to cook, but because when you get home from church and we had people over quite often, when you get home from church, it's easy to have things kind of ready to go. You know, yeah. you got it in the crock pot or you we had a timer on our oven when the kids were really little and I could put it in the oven and have it start at a certain time. So it was ready when we got home. Mm-hmm. And um, and even for breakfast, I would the night before put together a breakfast casserole and I'd wake up Sunday and I'd lay out all the kids church clothes and everything just to try to get yes. it to go smoothly on Sunday morning. So, cause when you have littles, it's already a little stressful trying to get everyone ready and out the door. Yeah. Um, well, I was just going to say mom goals. That's right. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out my, my system. I actually read a book. I actually read a book, I cannot remember the name, about the Sabbath. It was written by a woman, and she's the one I got a lot of the ideas from. Oh. And I'll I'll see. Recommend that to me. It's probably on my shelf somewhere. So, but I would say, as far as homeschooling, while I I do want to say, and Ashley and I are going to do an episode on education, that while a lot of reform people homeschool, I don't think Ashley or I believe that homeschooling is the only way. So, it's a it's a great option, but it's but there are other options, acceptable options. So I did want to say that. But yeah, a lot of people, I I know some people who have become reformed and and started to homeschool afterwards. And mm-hmm. the other thing is too, if you're somebody, because we've got girls in our group who, I, I just talked to someone that left a SBC and is now looking for a reformed church. Don't overwhelm yourself with everything that I have to do now that I'm reformed. Yeah. You know, definitely get to know your pastor and 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 go to him about some of these questions that you have if if you're not sure about should I quit my job and start homeschooling my kids or these sorts of things. These are good things to talk to your own pastor about. Yeah. And um I think it's likely if you're joining a reformed church if you're coming from some sort of evangelical church, it's likely that there's more people at the Reformed Church that are homeschooling than where you, wherever you came from. Because I know growing up when I was at the large evangelical church, I didn't know anyone who was homeschooled. Um, and at my Reformed Church now, everyone homeschools. So um, I think it's pretty typical if if you're worried about homeschooling, you're likely to find more of a homeschool community in a reformed church than at a, at a, a different type of church. Would uh, you agree, Colleen? Yeah. You, you know, it's funny because the OPC that we went to, the first OPC that we went to, almost everyone homeschooled. The second mm-hmm. OPC we went to, we, the church was small, but we were the initially the only ones that homeschooled. Oh, interesting. And, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a ton of children and stuff, but there was, there was a Christian school that one of the families had their children at. And so, but there's also an OPC 
in Denver that people refer to as the homeschooling church. So. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to add kind of on top of what you said that it's okay to like not really understand a reformed church at first. My husband and I took about eight or nine months to actually pursue membership at the church because it took us that long just to understand everything. And I mean, it took us months to even understand like what, like I was so confused, like why are we going through a confession in Sunday school? I don't understand that. You know, just things like that where it's just so different from evangelical churches. So give give yourself some time, you know, to, to learn the church. And uh, like Colleen said, I think talking with the pastor, if it's a good church, the pastor will talk to you the first time you're there um, or the second time, you know, because they'll they'll spot you as the new person um and they want you to feel welcome uh but yeah get to know them and and just give yourself some time i think that's a that's a good point i remember when we started attending bethel in outside chicago not bethel reading right no <laughs> bethel opc outside yeah. chicago um that the pastor and an, oh, i think it was pastor and elder this is since 21 years ago so i think it was the pastor and an elder that came over once a week and there was a book and i i have it on my bookshelf somewhere but i cannot remember the name of it but they went through this book with us so they didn't have like a membership class they came mm -hmm. over and wow. and we went through this book together and i've seen it in other opcs so it might be fairly common, but I cannot remember the name of it. It's not a really big book. The book uh, we use for our membership classes is called Presbytopia. It's actually pretty new. Okay, it, that, yeah, that one that I have not familiar it, with. An OPC pastor wrote it three or four years ago. Okay. Um, so that would be a good one if you're like, okay, we're probably going to go to Reformed Church soon. Picking up Presbytopia would probably be good just to understand what, what are these churches about and um, Presbyterian church government and covenant theology. It kind of just covers everything in a little book. So, and it, it's kind of funny that it's called Presbytopia. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of cute. Uh, that, that is actually very cute. Yeah. So this next question, you know, it's, it's come up, so I'll, I'll go ahead and say it, but, um, this is not something that we really have a biblical response to. And somebody asked us what what we think about alternative medicine. So which that's kind of broad, I guess, mm -hmm. to depending on what what people mean. Do you have any thoughts? Um, I don't really have like a strong opinion either way. I mean, I think if something's alternative but it works, then Hey, do it. You know, like I don't, I think sometimes there's a stigma with alternative medicine. Like it's maybe some sort of Eastern, you know, uh, have you, have you gotten that sense sometimes there's like the stigma? Well, um, I live in Colorado and <laughs> you know, half an hour from us is Boulder and yeah. in Boulder, you know, people use that term crunchy, which I don't really like, but in Boulder, the, everyone's very crunchy. And, but so up there, you see a lot of alternative medicine and natural stuff and this sort of thing. But at the same time, um, you also see a lot of new age type stuff. It's not, 
a lot of Christians have. So I think one reason why people think that is because some things may, that there are sometimes a connection to some of these, some of yeah. these doctors. Now I, I, my doctor is um, a doctor of osteopathy. Mm-hmm. And so he, he actually does a lot he kind of does a balanced approach to medicine. So some of the things that I take for for my illness are are more natural treatments, and then some are traditional. You know, I when I when I go like usually, I he gives me some things that are natural, and then gives me a prescription. So I I think the important thing is to be balanced. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think people go too too far in either extreme in my yeah. opinion yeah and I, I mean I've gotten like acupuncture before um, I guess that's like alternative right um, I've taken like plant-based medicine instead of taking the you know for recommended pharmaceutical thing um, didn't really feel like it helped <laughs> so I didn't do right. it again um, but I I don't think there's anything innately wrong with yeah. With doing it. I just think it's I just think it's a preference thing. My yeah. I mean, my default is I'm gonna go to my doctor who's a typical, you know, doctor before I'd probably seek out something natural or, or alternative. That's just my default. I'm I guess I'm I'm probably more trusting of doctors than than some people out there. But I have friends that they just go to a naturopath. They don't go to a a typical doctor and I don't I don't see any problem with that yeah as long as we're using wisdom which I think yeah. that's the, the super important thing you know if you've got strep throat you probably need an actual antibiotic <laughs> right um, and so the, there are times where I think it, it's very very important I I don't think anyone in our group is like this but I remember I remember a story and this is what I mean by extremes where this child ended up dying because the parents were, you know, trying to like thought only natural stuff, oh, no medication. Okay. And that that's the sort of thing where I would say is an extreme version that we need to be really, really, really careful. You know, I think that there's, there's a lot of different, I, I was talking to somebody in a group and somebody that I think is just had a baby or something like that. And they're saying, but is this okay? Is that okay? And I realize there's that women today, when they get pregnant, when they have a baby, that there's so many more opinions, that they're exposed to so many more opinions. Vaccinate, don't vaccinate, homeschool, don't homeschool. You know, there's all these really strong opinions. And it's really to it's really easy to become anxious about whether or not we're making the right decision. Right. And I think I think we need to be really careful in everything. Use wisdom. If we don't have like a clear answer in scripture, use wisdom in those decisions that we make. Yeah. And I think sometimes people try to put a Christian spin on things like that, which drives me crazy. Like I can go to my regular doctor as a Christian in good conscience, like totally fine. And you could go to your naturopath and use alternative things in good conscience. You know, like there's not like a Christian way to do medicine. Right. Um, but I think you're right, just use wisdom. 
And I should uh, probably say for that I said I go to a doctor of osteopathy, just so everyone knows. Oh, yeah. No, osteop- I just, yeah. I, was I know. Just I'm just thinking, a... right. If, if I just realized that some people might not know that that is an actual doctor. Oh, yeah, who, yeah. Who gets his MD and then and then goes to further training. But but you're right. Um, I, have you're a, right I, I have a very dear friend who who really likes a lot of like the natural medicine stuff. And she's convinced me of some things where I'm like, oh, I should try that. That, you know, that's really cool. And, um, you know, like pep, like I had a migraine really bad and she's like, oh, put like peppermint oil on you above your eyebrows. And it actually helped my migraine. I was like, oh, wow. You know, like things like that. Like, I think that's kind of cool that you can put peppermint oil, um, you know, on your, on your forehead to help with a migraine. Um, so. Yeah. And my grandma, who's like the most godly woman I know, she had studied like doing the different pressure points and stuff. Mm. And if I had a headache, she would be, she would like touch these pressure points and it would help it. And I've used the peppermint too for headaches and I've used it for nausea too. So Hmm. some of that stuff, some of that stuff is beneficial. I would say, I think with everything, you know, moderation. Yeah. All right. So let's go to another question. Uh, how do you cope with being more interested in learning about theology and apologetics than your husband is? In this case, he feels he is too busy to learn, etc. Do you want to respond to that first, Colleen? I think we this comes up a lot in the group, and mm-hmm. we I think maybe it's just the nature of our group that since it's focused on theology, that there are a lot of women that they are more interested in theology than their husbands. And that, I think in a lot of cases, the husband is still leading the home. He's still still in God's word. He's still, he's still being a great leader in the home, but he's just not reading a, a lot of theology books. And part of it might be exactly what this husband said, that he's just very busy. I think about my husband, you know, he goes to work and in his downtime, he's got a lot on his plate and stuff. I think it's, I think that it's okay for you to still be interested in theology, even if your husband isn't as interested. And I know times when I've been able to read a lot more theology than my husband, I I talk to my husband about what I'm learning. And I think that's a, that's kind of a good thing to do. If I'm reading a theology book and I, you know, sometimes I would, uh, read passages to my husband or tell him a great point from a book, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. So I, th- I think that in some marriages, you're just going to have women that might be more interested in the theology books and those sorts of things than, than the husband is in some marriages. It's the husband mm-hmm. that might be more interested. So I would just find, find ways to talk to your husband about the things that you're learning and encourage him in in his his role in your home Mm -hmm. yeah i think um i think there's seasons too where it'll kind of ebb and flow uh in a high stress season he's probably not going to be reading a lot about theology just because there's a lot going on um i was going to say some advice my husband got before we got married um from someone he knew Someone told him, when you're studying theological things, you're, you know, you're trying to understand this or that, make sure you take your, le- your wife along with you um, in that 
so that you guys are, you know, on the same page and, you know, you're leading her. And I also think there's something in that for, for women because, I mean, obviously the man's the leader of the home, but I think if you're studying something, especially if it's something big, like you're like, you know, you hold to one, one baptism view and all of a sudden you're, you're kind of leaning towards the other and you're reading things. I think you should like make sure you're including your husband in on that conversation. Um, like just telling him, Hey, I read this and I'm kind of intrigued and never heard it that way before. Uh, just because you don't want to like completely change your mind on something. And, and he doesn't, you know, he wasn't even a part of that process and conversation. Um, even if he's not showing a ton of interest in studying it himself. Um, what would you say? Yeah, I was, yeah. I was the person you're talking about, Ashley. I, yeah. I became convinced of pedo-baptism before my husband did. Mm -hmm. and, and believing that my husband has authority in the home, I respected his view. And one thing, too, and I think this is important, is, and my husband was studying it. He, my husband is just a, he, he's just a very thorough person. So if he's studying something, he's going to read everything on both sides. And I, my husband literally read everything on the both sides of the de baptism debate over years that he could get his hands on. And we even got a photocopy of an out of print book on the subject that I have in a three ring binder. And so when I, one thing though, that was, that is important if you kind of come to another view is to still be respectful and not nagging your husband about it because he's still he's still the leader leader in your home and so i i kind of took a back seat to it and just decided i'm just gonna i'm not gonna talk to him a lot about it he knows where i'm at i'm gonna continue to encourage him to study and i'm gonna pray and I'm going to respect that his decision that our kids are not going to be baptized at this point. So even that that's kind of a practical way where the submit, submission comes out and how it plays out in practical theological ways. Now, if yeah. you're now, if your husband um, is doing something that is like outright unbiblical, I'm trying to think of an example, if your husband decides you're going to go to a, a church that doesn't believe in the Trinity, that that's when no you do not go with your husband to that church because then he's actually doing something very contrary to god's word mm -hmm. and if you're in a situation where your husband's doing that talk to your pastor talk to a pastor you know if yeah. your husband is embracing something that would be contrary to a foundation something heretical something contrary to a foundational doctrine of the christian faith mm -hmm. On secondary issues, it's a little different, but um, where we can respect respect our husbands. So, yeah, I guess I think too, as long as your husband is still, you know, actively participating in your local church and in the Word and leading your family in other ways, I wouldn't be concerned. It could just be an interest thing, like you've, you, for whatever reason, you've just become very interested in this and that and theology. Um, I, would, would you agree, Colleen? Like, I wouldn't be yeah. concerned as long as my husband's, I mean, I would be concerned if my husband's like, I don't want to go to church on Sundays anymore, <laughs> you know, or right. something like that. But, you know, if he was just like, I, no, I don't really want to read that book or something like, 
I, I'm not, I'm not that worried. Yeah. Know? And you, you mentioned something really, I think very true in that, that there's different seasons. Mm -hmm. Having been married for 22 years, there's been seasons where my husband has time to read a lot of theology books and seasons where he doesn't have as much time. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and even the other thing too that I know is like sometimes my husband go through a season where he's reading kind of more practical books, you know, he's reading Trusting God by Jerry Bridges and he's reading, um, he's reading Being Dad, you know, by Scott Keith and stuff. So where he goes, I think we all have those different kinds of seasons in, mm -hmm. in our reading. So this one right here, and I, this is kind of an easy one to answer, but how can I make friends that are like-minded Christians? That is a good question. I mean, I think the best place is your local church, um, which actually could be very hard if, if you're reformed leaning and you're in a church that's not, um, that could be difficult. Um, but I think if, if you're reformed and in a reformed church, you're likely going to meet people that are more like-minded. Um, I think what I love about the local church is I meet women that are very like-minded in how they think theologically, but can be completely different in all these other ways. And you're just like, I don't even know if we would be friends, you know, in, in, in another walk of life, you know, it's just, we happen to have this connection over um, theology and um, our convictions on, on certain things. Uh, would you say that's the best place is the local church? Yeah, that, that's exact, exactly what I was thinking. And I know that we have some gals in the group who have said that the ladies in my church are, you know, like they're, I'm not in a reformed church or they're not right. interested in theology and that sort of thing. But sometimes I think even in the church instigating discussions, you know, uh, I've seen, I've seen women that have said, you know, I wasn't really interested in theology, but this girl at church started talking to me about some different things. And then I went and read this book and stuff. So I think you can even encourage the people in your church. And so, but if, if that's just absolutely not an option, I mean, I know that a lot of people have made close friendships in our group, but, yeah. but I will say our, our group should always be secondary, way secondary to your church. Yeah. Um, and, and you can have, you can have friends in both, but I, I know that for me, as I, as I got older, it was sometimes harder to make those, those close relationships. Yeah. And when my husband and I started going to this, this church, <clears throat> to this one church, my husband, it was a small church. He made a list of everybody in the church and we decided we were going to have everybody from the church over for dinner. It took a year. It's a year. Wow. Yeah. Well, it wasn't every week. You know, we usually had somebody over about one to two times a month. But, you know, sometimes be proactive in trying to develop those relationships. Yeah. You know, someone spoke someone spoke at our um, women's retreat last year about friendship and Christian friendship. And one thing she said that I loved was friendship happens when you're talking to someone and then all of a sudden you realize something about each other and you think, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. Like you just have some connection on something that you didn't know anybody else who thought that same way 
or who liked that same thing that you do. And so I think um, talking to people and just trying to find something you have in common, um, which I can be a challenge, you know. Sometimes you look at someone, you're like, we are so different. Um, I remember when I was in high school, we would do this big sis, little sis thing where, you know, the, a senior would get a little sis who's like a freshman and you were supposed to like mentor them throughout their freshman year. And the girl I got matched with, I was just like, you know, we have nothing in common. I remember we were sitting on a bus next to each other and she handed me her iPod and I'm scrolling through and I'm realizing all of her musicians are, it's like Japanese. And I'm like, okay, so there's literally not a single song on your iPod, which is a big deal when you're in high school. There's literally not a single artist on your iPod that's on my iPod. I'm like, okay, what do you read? You know, like I just, you know, kind of kept going through the list of things until I could find one thing that we had in common. Um, but it took some work. <laughs> Did so, you find something? Yes, both of our dads were pilots. Oh. Yeah. And she wanted... He wanted to go to school to be a pilot and so and my grandpa was a pilot so I've, I come from a long line of pilots um, so yeah you know I, I had someone like that in in a church and I really I was like I can't think of anything that that we have in common but you know, the great the great thing about the church is you always have one thing in common even yes. if you don't have those other things, like Ashley was talking about, that she wouldn't be friends with those people necessarily in her regular life. But even if you are the most different people in the entire world, you both have Christ. And I love the the language that you know the that Scripture uses as far as these are our brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. So we're actually going to be having Christina Fox on about her her new book Union are closer than a sister and it's and she talks about union with Christ and friendships. So yeah. I'm I'm excited for that. So that might be that might be really helpful. Talk, yeah. I something think, we can talk to her about. I don't think friendship is something we talk about a lot. And I do want to say I like I love theology, obviously. I do a podcast about theology. I'm in theology Facebook groups. So it's pretty obvious that that's like a huge interest of mine. But I have dear Christian friends who are not really interested. Like they don't, they they love to talk about the essentials and the gospel and things like that. But they're not going to like get into a debate with me about baptism or, you know, like yeah. let, let's discuss the nuances of what Spurgeon said here about this, thing, you know, that kind of thing. And that's okay because there's other things I talk to them about and I know they're still my sisters in Christ. Like I'm not like concerned for them because they don't take as great of an interest as I do. Um, but I, I do want to say it's okay. Like I don't think someone has to be like acutely interested in theology um, to be a Christian and for you to get along with them. And and for you to encourage one another. I think my I have two very best friends and one of them I've known since I was like, I don't know, five, I think since I was five. And the other one I've known since I was pregnant with my first. So uh, over 21 years and neither of them are especially into theology. And one of them though, I think has become more interested in theology 
through the years. We still have, we still encourage each other. We still pray for and with each other. We, we still talk about God's grace and, and they're my very best friends. They're the ones that are there for me in the most difficult of times. So I'm thinking we can do one more because I knew we wouldn't get to all of them. Yeah. But I'm thinking with the, with the holidays coming up and we might be able to discuss this more if we do a Christmas episode, but how can we cope with family members that are unbelievers, how to celebrate holidays with them, how to share what God is doing in your life without them getting uncomfortable and upset, mistaking your faith Hmm. as prideful. And it sounds like this gal said, yes, unfortunately, that that's what she's been dealing with. Yeah. Um, I think that's really hard. Um, I come from a really big family where very few people are Christians. Um, and I think it's difficult to, to do that. I, my best suggestion for that just in general, not just the holidays is to, to live your life, um, in such a way where you're striving to be obedient to God's word and you're you're living a life that appears holy that is holy but that is obviously holy to those around you i think that that says a lot when you go to have those conversations like if if they know that your life looks different than theirs I think I'm not saying um, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm just saying your life should look really different. Um, it should make people curious, you know, as to why your life is like that. Um, I just think that goes a long way before you even have a conversation with them. Um, with that person, like being convinced that you're you're legit. You're not just um, you're not just like a Sunday Christian or, you know, there's all sorts of sayings about that. But what do you think, Colleen? Yeah, I, I think that was that was really good, Ashley. And I was thinking where you're talking that that hymn, the light of the world is Jesus. And we can be an example of of Christ to those around us and in being gracious with them and, and patient too. You you know, you think of these different fruits of the spirit that we should be displaying to those around us. I, and I was also thinking we have a friend and he was an atheist, but he would, he would spend time with, with um, some of our family a lot and be around a lot. And, and we would talk about different things and stuff. And he, it's, it was a miraculous story. He ended up becoming a Christian a couple of years ago. Wow. And he, he said he realized how much he knew um, just about theology, about scripture from just being around, around wow. us. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, I think sometimes we can feel with our family like, like it's not getting anywhere. We're not getting anywhere with them. We want them to, we love them. We desire for them to be in Christ. But I think remember a couple of things that the Lord is, is working in ways we do not see mm-hmm. and is often working in ways we do not see. Cause I didn't know that the Lord was working in our friend's heart, you know, and, and he, it was amazing. And this guy was a staunch atheist. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, don't be discouraged because, and then also remember that God's power is great. Cause I know it can also feel like that person's never going to become a Christian. And yeah. 
but God has, yeah, God has great, great power and can work in just truly miraculous ways. And as far as the practical stuff in, in my family, most people on, on my mom's side are Christians, but we've had some of my Jewish family with us at holidays. And we just can, if we have traditions for Thanksgiving and Christmas and it's at our home, we still, we still work out those traditions, even among family that's not Christian. So at Thanksgiving, yeah. our family, um, I don't know where it started, but everyone has a bean on their plate and we pass around this cup and you put the bean in the cup and say something you're thankful for. And, <laughs> and then we pray and, and stuff. And so we do all of those things, even when there are non-Christians present. Uh, if we're at a non-Christian family's house for holiday, actually, I don't think I've ever been in that situation, but I, I wouldn't say you need to do this, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, respect, and, respect the household uh, rules. Right. And I also think don't don't be a cage stager. Mm -hmm. And for those, you know, cage stage Calvinists, they often talk about as would be better off in a cage because they have all the passion without the wisdom. Yeah. And so you don't you don't want to be banging your family members over the head with scripture. But our faith is such a big part of our lives. It's OK to talk to talk about it in yeah. inappropriate ways and, and yeah. to share. And I think there's a way to stand by your convictions without coming off prideful. Um, for instance, like we talked about the Sabbath earlier, if they're like, we're going to go do this thing on Sunday, um, we're going to get brunch at 10 a.m. on Sunday as a whole family. Like we want you to come. I think you could say, I'm sorry, I can't go. I don't think you need to say necessarily, that's a violation of the fourth commandment and you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so not that anyone's going to say that I'm obviously doing hyperbole here. Um, but I think there's a way where you can consistently show mm, that's not our family's practice. We're obviously going to be at church on Sunday. Um, we're not going to do that um, without, without laying it on thick. Like, I don't think you yeah. need to, lay it on thick, I think they know why you're not, like my family would know why I'm not coming, you know? Um, and so they don't ask anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, and there was one other thing I was going to say. I'd also like to say that like, even if you're doing all those things, you're being gracious, you're standing up for your convictions, and yet you feel like you're doing it in a kind way, not a prideful way. At the end of the day, they still might just think you're prideful and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? And I think people make a lot of assumptions about Christians and they assume, like they assume if you say, I'm not going to watch that movie, that means you're condemning them for watching that movie. So they automatically assume pride, you know? So like, even if that's not even your intent at the end of the day, they might just assume that anyway. So it, it's hard to be in that situation. Um, it's hard to be mischaracterized, you know, when you're like, I'm not being prideful. That's just my conviction, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, you might, that might just be it. And well, okay. So in verse, in verse 18, it says in, in first Corinthians verse 18, it says for the word, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And it also quotes and it says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And so things that are 
wise in God's eyes are going to seem foolish to people who are unregenerate. Um, and there's, there's nothing we can do to change their mind on that, except if they repent and believe, you know, like they're going to just think you're foolish for living your life that way um, until they repent. So I, I've been in that situation. Um, it's stressful, but I've learned, I've softened over the years in my approach. Um, I'm more gentle. I, I'm a little bit more understanding. Um, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily get easier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a really good point, Ashley, about even if you are kind and, and even, even that first, because you can try to approach these things with wisdom and grace and kindness and, and they will, they'll still be offended, you know, according, according to scripture. And the other thing too, that you were talking about is they, they may think that you're prideful, even if you do speak it in a very wise way. I've, I've had situations where we made different decisions with our kit regarding our kids and other people in the family. And I know someone in our family became very defensive about another person in our family. Well, they, they did that and their kids are just fine, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I really, I, I didn't say anything about their kids, but they, uh, there was kind of an assumption that I was placing judgment. Right. And even even in ch in churches, sometimes you're gonna have people that make decisions. Yeah. You know, like we talked about on our Harry Potter episode, where you might say we're not comfortable with that show, but someone else might be, or vice versa. Yeah. Well, and uh, you could say you could say, yeah, we're not. We actually decided to not do Santa with our kids. We're not gonna pretend you know Santa is real. And so someone else is like, so you must think I'm a bad parent for <laughs> right. for doing Santa. And it's like, that's not what I said. I'm saying we personally chose, you know, that we're not going to do Santa. And there's almost no, if someone's going to respond defensively, there's almost no way around that. And I think, I just think things are heightened at holiday time. Holidays can be really hard for a lot of people. If you're in a difficult family situation, if you your family has experienced a loss late, uh, recently, um, you know, I know holidays are painted in the movies as this like happy time where people get together and um, it's just not like that for a lot of people. Um, it's very difficult and, and stressful. Um, you know, that's why sadly like suicide rates go up in November and December um, and things like that just because it's so stressful to be around family members for a lot of people. Yeah, or, or it brings up different things mm -hmm. if you know you you recently lost a parent or a sibling or lost someone in your family and holidays come and it can be really sad to not have them there with you and or so, even um, even last year's presidential election <laughs> I feel like was enough to tear families apart oh uh, yeah over so yeah it's like don't talk politics with your do head not, we don't even want to talk about it yeah right and and i will tell you i'm gonna make a confession right here there was a thanks i i think it was my first or i think it was my first thanksgiving with my husband's family um 
I stormed out, got up from the Thanksgiving table, and I stormed out. And it was over abortion. Mm. And so I I know I know what that's like to be with non-Christians on holidays and stuff. And I just had to learn to not even talk about certain certain topics and stuff. So mm-hmm. well, if you if you do have any questions for us for another question and answer episode or if you have podcast topics definitely email us at theologygals at gmail.com i had a gal email us just this week and said i've got a great topic for you so we we appreciate those those topics so we're gonna we're gonna go to a quick break and then come back with our yeah about that looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach look no further At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid, biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new track just for you. We are committed to the solid, biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTPlanet.com, coupon code BTWN. So Ashley, I think you have a yeah about that for us this week, right? Yeah, it comes from Sam Matherly in our group. I hope I'm saying her last name right. Yeah, I think uh, so. I think so. Uh, she was talking about how she saw this video, which I I haven't actually seen the video, but it talks about how like Jesus and Santa were friends. And I believe she said this was played at a church she attended or someone she knew attended, where it talked about how Jesus and Santa we're friends. We're getting close to Christmas, so we're gonna have a lot of Christmas yeah. yeah about that. So what do you think? So so what they they're friends, they compare notes to see who's naughty or nice. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to yeah. me. It did it did I saw it and it, it did kind of kind of sound like sound like that. Yeah, uh, about that. <laughs> are you saying Jesus and Santa are not friends? Is that what you're saying, Colleen? Yeah, I don't I don't think Jesus and Santa are friends. Not and not not the Santa Claus from the North Pole. No. Okay. So we, people are teaching this to their children, which really is is so is so unfortunate. Now I'm going to share about my own husband. His his mom was adamant that Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny were real, and he did grow up in a liberal Lutheran church. But when he found out that they weren't, he he was probably like I don't know seven, eight, nine, something like that. And he literally thought that Jesus was also not real, but just had stories about Jesus to tell your kids to make them obey. That's mm-hmm. what that's what my husband. Um, that's why we don't tell our kids about Santa Claus, but. You know, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm speechless. You're at a loss. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard that before. That yeah, was- I just, I just think you're trying too hard. Okay, yeah. like you just, you just need to stop. Is what I think. <laughs> right. 
Right. Well, especially, okay, I think it's extremely problematic to tie Jesus into a fictional story. Yes. Everything we know about Jesus is found in God's word. Let's not make up stories about Jesus. That is, that right. is, that's actually wrong to do. Well, okay. So St. Nicholas was a real person. Right. But, like, but, but Santa Claus, but let's just talk, and a lot of people will teach their kids about Santa Claus, but Santa Claus himself is in, in, is the, in the North, North Pole, Pole right. and, and flies his sleigh with reindeers and has a, yes. a reindeer whose nose lights up, you know? Yes. And that's when kids, when people are teaching their kids about San, Santa Claus, that's, that's what they're who, talking about. Right. So that's, that's problematic on so many levels that I, I don't really know what to say. And you shouldn't be teaching your kids something about Jesus that is not found in scripture. What we teach yes. our children about, about Jesus, what we teach our children about faith, about Christianity, all of it is found in the word of God. We don't need to make up yeah. stories about yeah. Jesus. I think Santa Claus is a fun story. Yep. I think it's fun to watch the movies and the reindeers and all that. But why do we have to somehow make Santa Claus friends? I I just I don't know, Pauline. Yeah, that I think you were right. They're they're kind of trying too hard, you know, in some way. And and I, and I agree with you. I mean, as far as Santa Claus goes, in our family, we never taught our children that Santa Claus lives in the North Pole. We, we taught our children that Santa Claus was no different than Winnie the Pooh. Mm -hmm. It's just a fun fictional story, and we enjoy watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and some of yeah. those different cartoons. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. Let's not – and we're going to do a whole episode on, on Christmas later on and since it's coming up and talk about how we're supposed to approach Christmas as Christians, I even did a poll on Twitter about whether Christmas should be celebrated in the church and in the home or only in the church or, mm -hmm. or I think I said only in the home and then it shouldn't be celebrated at all. So we know there's a lot of different views out there about Christmas. So we'll definitely be talking about that in more detail. But don't, but don't tell your kids that Jesus was friends with Santa. Right. I feel like, I feel like we don't need to say that. Anyone who has listened to our show this long and is still tuning in, we don't need to say that. So, but I just, I'm saying it. So yes. that I, I'm on record saying that. And, and I, I'm going to actually guess that no one in our group would <laughs> would say that. I've never met a person in real life that would say that. So yeah. I, I'm still a little skeptical that this person exists that made a video about this, but I take Sam's word for it that this actually happened. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We, we really appreciate it. If you have any topic ideas, like I said, email us so you can reach out to one of us on social media you know, tweet us or send us a, a message. And you can find everything on BibleThumpingWingnet.com. Click on Theology Gals somewhere. You can find all of our episodes. And you can find the resources for this episode. I am going to link the Tim Challey's articles on the pearls. And if I find some other links that would be helpful, 
with any of the questions, I'll link those also. And if you want to support us, you will also find a link on the website to our Patreon, or you can look up Theology Gals on Patreon if you want to support us a few dollars a month. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.